Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ultra Hope Girls A Danganronpa podcast. Today, we will be revisiting the Enneagram types with the Ultra Despair Girls characters, but we will be focusing on the childhood wounds aspect of the Enneagram types, as Ultra Despair Girls has a lot of themes of that. Along with that point, this episode, just a heads up, is going to contain a lot about childhood trauma, um, specifically that to do with the kids in the game. If you've played the game, you know what we're talking about, and we will not really be holding back in our conversations about the trauma they went through. So just a heads up that that is something we're going to be discussing today. And if you don't want to tune in, that is totally cool, and we will see you next time on Ultra Hoop Girls. Just a heads up that this episode will spoil the entirety of Ultra Despair Girls. And with that, let's get into it. I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One, two. Welcome to the Dong and Rumba Podcast. <laughs> You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Ultra Hope Girls, where, again, we are putting the characters into personality type boxes because that's what we love to do out here. So (laughs) today we're going to be talking about the Enneagrams again. And the reason why we're applying the Enneagram personality test again to this game is there is a theory among certain Enneagram scholars or people who study the Enneagram that our types are determined by childhood wounds. So things from our childhood that may have happened that have impacted us as adults. Uh, And this game is all about childhood wounds, baby. So we are going to be kind of talking through that with these characters in this game. We're going to be talking through the five kids and Toko and Kamaru. In case you don't remember, we talked about the Enneagram in our season two, and we talked through what types the game two characters would be. If you need a refresher on the Enneagram types and all that jazz, you can head over to that episode in season two, listen to the first five minutes and come on back. Um, But we're just going to be talking a little bit at the start about the childhood wounds and what they are for each type and then just dive right in. Okay, so for these types, we're going to be describing them using little blurbs from the Enya app by Lori Olson. So that's where these little short phrases are coming from. Um, But for type one, they are known as the reformer. And these children felt heavily criticized, punished, or not good enough. Household rules may have felt inconsistent. And as such, they became obsessed with being good, not making mistakes to avoid condemnation. The principal message was, you must always be better than you are. So for Enneagram type two, they are called the helper. And those children felt loved only if they were helping or pleasing others and their personal needs felt selfish. As a result, they closed off their own needs and feelings and turned to those of others. Love became defined as giving to others, though the love often didn't feel received or reciprocated. And for type three, they are known as the achiever. And it says, to the heart, these children felt rewarded only for what they did and how well they did it. Their feelings were discounted and ignored. Only their performance and what was expected of them mattered. This harmed their ability to love themselves and others. Admiration replaced real love. All right. So type four is known as the individualist. And these children felt abandoned by one or both caretakers. They felt alone, cut off from the source of love for reasons they couldn't understand. They were not seen or mirrored and felt different from their parents. As a result, they turned inward to their feelings and imagination to cope in isolation. All right. Type five is the investigator. And these children received no meaningful interaction, emotion, or affection from caretakers. 
or the children had intrusive, over-controlling parents and felt exposed and defenseless in the face of this intrusion. As a result, they built walls around themselves and retreated to the mental realm. Type 6 is the loyalist. These children were raised in an unpredictable situation with no safe place to go. They lost faith they would ever be protected. As such, they turned to their own inner defense of doubting, disbelieving reality, and rejecting their own instincts and inner guidance. Type 7 is known as the enthusiast, and it says that these children were deprived of nurturing or it was too soon removed. They handled this lack by searching for distractions to minimize or repress the fear and pain. They decided to focus on positive options and rely on themselves to fulfill their desires and gain a sense of nurturance. Type 8 is known as the challenger, and these children often grew up in an unsafe environment, emotionally and or physically, and had to mature way too soon. They didn't feel safe enough to show any vulnerability and may have felt controlled. Weakness was used against them, so they focused on only building their strength. And then type 9, the peacemaker. These children were overlooked or neglected and felt unimportant or lost. They were ignored or attacked for having needs and expressing themselves, especially with anger, and decided to keep a low profile and instead focus on the needs and experiences of others. So if that was overwhelming to anyone, we will be going more in depth about these types as we go through the characters. So don't feel like you have to, you know, memorize what we just said. We'll we'll definitely refer back to that. And I know we found some uh, other sites as well when we were doing searches. Actually, actually, there's going to be a quiz at the end of this podcast. So everyone, <laughs> please make sure you're taking notes. This right. will be for a grade. <laughs> Um, but if you if you hear us uh, reference any direct quotations, I know a lot of mine come from psychologyjunkie.com. Um, so make sure to check out their materials. I also use Psychology Junkie and I also took some blurbs from the Enneagraminstitute.com. Sorry, Enneagram, yeah. Enneagraminstitute.com, not the Enneagram Institute. Well, are we starting with Toko then? Yeah, I think we're starting with Toko. So the first note that I have written down for Toko is um, this girl has so much trauma. Where do I even begin? (laughs) I think she has all of them. No, um, this poor girl. Yeah. So I had her down as a potential four and we learn from this game. We, you know, in Trigger Happy Havoc, it's hinted at a little bit with her um, free time events and her backstory and whatnot about like her childhood traumas and whatnot. But in this game, we learn that she was... Um, that, oh gosh, correct me if I'm getting any details wrong, but she and another girl were born at the exact same time and the like, for, to two women and the other baby like didn't survive, but they didn't know which woman was Toko's mother, but neither woman wanted her. And so they both like took turns raising her and were just horrible to her. And that was the start of it all. And, and so, Yeah. And so I read some stuff from, once again, from psychologyjunkie.com and also enneagraminstitute.com that um, fours as children often felt disconnected from their parents. It could be for because of abuse, it could be because of neglect, or it could just be because of like a clash of personalities. But um, fours tended to feel out of place. And, but yeah, and so I, you know, I read some things about how they turn to self-pity and self-deprecation a lot of the time as like kind of a coping strategy for dealing with feelings of isolation and feelings of rejection. They often use creativity as like an outlet for their feelings. And for Toko, a lot of that could be, you know, through her writing. And that is a way that she kind of uses maybe escapism to 
um, fill the holes in her life. And we talked about this a little in her character analysis episode that we did in our first season about how she kind of uses fiction to, to fill the holes. And it's very sad, but it, it felt like it fit um, the four characteristic to me. This is a, a quote I got from one of those websites. Um, it says that fours are self-aware, sensitive, and reserved. They're emotionally honest, creative, and personal, but can also be moody and self-conscious. Um, and so, yeah, Toko is pretty pretty moody. Um, <laughs> but they see themselves as fundamentally different from other people. Sometimes they see themselves as uniquely gifted or talented, um, which I think Toko does. I mean, she is clearly a gifted writer. But they also um, have a lot of self-hate that they kind of take out of themselves. And it was also interesting to me to read that Edgar Allan Poe is actually a four as well. So some literary literary connections there. <laughs> so Maddie, I agree with you. I had Toko Yay! as a four 100%. There was not a question. I And it was basically that point that fours use their imagination to retreat and find comfort in that. Yes, um, there yeah. are a lot of other types on this list that have that isolate themselves, but they do it differently. Whereas the four, it's like sp- that specific trait is what they use to isolate themselves. So yes, queen, I agree with everything you said. So I actually had her as a type one, which I would never in a million years put Toko as a type one if we weren't looking at it from a childhood trauma angle. So in that regard, I was like, this is probably not true, but you know, we'll go with it. Um, And the reason I put her in that category is type ones um, develop a relentless feeling of never being acceptable. They must always be better than what they are at the moment. And they try and repress that emotion typically showing up on the the outside as judgmental, critical behavior. And so for me, like that did capture Toko a little bit and that she never accepts herself ever. It's always, I'm stinky. I'm, you know, like no one likes me. You know, we see her with I'm stinky. 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 I mean, she is. She doesn't shower like that is Ken. Okay, sweaty. Um, But yeah, and the repression of the emotions was the biggest thing to me because even, I believe it's on the Danganronpa wiki page, um, Genocide Jack was born out of repression. And so kind of what you were saying with the type four about retreating back I think it's a pretty similar vibe um, of kind of how her uh, genocide jack behavior came out in the first place. Um, But I totally get that. And I think one of the things about the type one that doesn't necessarily fit Toko is a lot of type ones are like actively working to improve themselves constantly. Whereas Toko is like, you know, in this game, we see her start to try and improve herself, but it's definitely not a constant. And so, yeah. So a big part of Toko's childhood trauma was being locked in a closet without food or water for many days. And um, a big part of the fours thing is they're abandoned by their parents. Oh, that's pretty bad. Like that's abandonment right there. And, you know, needs not being met. And anyway, so that's that. I will. I wanted to respond to one thing you said, Marin. I will challenge you on the idea that Toko does not... Um, like fight for self-improvement. I think in Ultra Despair Girls, she really, really does. And that's part of the reason that I love her in this game because I think she she really shows like a lot of personal growth. And I think it's effortful personal growth um, because, you know, she's trying to like tame Genocide Jack by like using the um, like the taser or whatever. And like, she's trying to 
be like, oh, well, you know, Master Byakuya said he'd love me if I did the blah, blah, blah. But I think a part of her also has discovered a newfound strength and is, you know, working Very towards true. that. Yeah, I'm probably not being super fair to her. I think more what I was saying is like the type one type, it would be like, oh, I'm stinky. I'm going to take a shower. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> whereas for her, she's like, I'll help Kamaru or something, you know, like, yeah. She's like, I'm stinky and I'm proud. <laughs> oh, classic queen. So for Komaru, obviously we learn about her past as being very normal. There was nothing that stuck out to me as like an obvious wound from her childhood. So what I kind of did is I interpreted the tragedy as her wound. So like being separated from her family and isolated and locked away from them. So this sort of instability of the tragedy and being separated from her family reminded me a lot of the type six. So that's what I decided to choose for her. She is separated from her parents and raised in unpredictable circumstances. And because of this, she's lost faith in what she has built up in her mind. Um, Her parents are no longer there. And she becomes doubtful of herself and her own abilities and doesn't trust herself. And before this, her life was so normal. So like there was like nothing disrupted it and then this did. And so it lost her faith in humanity. She doesn't believe that she can be the protagonist and she doubts herself because she's without those who she trusted. Oh, I had Kamaru as a a friend um, because (laughs) I kind of took it in a different lens of her trauma just being her childhood, like before the tragedy, which definitely affected what I came up with. So my like, quote unquote, trauma for her was just the feeling of simpleness, normalness, boringness and feeling like much less interesting or important than her brother because her brother's going off to this big school and he's so cool and like that rhymed and you know she's just chilling there and she doesn't necessarily feel understood or valued as much as her brother um and so with fives they're not ever really quite sure where their place is where they belong in the world um and they sometimes will look for something to be really good at in order to try and stand out which for Kamaru is drawing manga you know we've find that out in the game. Um, And there's a quote on here that I have that says, there's an unspoken message from fives that says, don't ask too much of me and I won't ask too much of you. And I think that that does fit her um, a bit at the beginning of the game at the beginning of Ultra Despair Girls, because most of the time, you know, when Toko's like, we have to get out of here, like, we're gonna die. She's like, can't we not? Like, it's hopeless don't ask me to leave, (laughs) you know? And I think that that definitely um, affects like what we see in, in the game and in her personality. Yeah. Well, I have to say we have a totally split room because I actually put her down as a seven, partially because I was like, I don't know if Kamaru has any childhood trauma. Let me just look (laughs) back at the like personality characteristics to see if I can place her somewhere. (laughs) Um, But um but I hear you guys on the, yeah, if you think about like this, the events of Ultra Despair Girls that we are currently witnessing, you know, if that is her trauma, I think it still might kind of fit with mine. So the seven is the enthusiast and um, the trauma is described as an absence of nurturing. And so there's like, basically they didn't have, um, they didn't feel cared for, they didn't feel nurtured. And maybe for Kamara, that's because she, you know, spent a year in basically solitary confinement. I don't know. But 
they, the a whole, like a big thing with the sevens is that they um, focus on what this website calls transitional objects, which might be an activity or an interest or a hobby that like they use to try and like, once again, fill the emptiness, fill the holes inside of them. And um, they want to find a way to distract themselves basically from what's going on. And so they can, you know, find happiness through that. And I also took that to potentially refer to her manga, maybe as being like her distraction. Um, and so the, another thing that stood out to me for her was um, just the description of a seven that I got from this website talking about how they are enthusiastic about almost everything that catches their attention. They approach life with curiosity optimism, debatably, and a sense of adventure like kids in a candy store who look at the world in wide-eyed, rapt anticipation of all the good things they're about to experience. Now, you might say, well, Kamar wasn't necessarily an optimist because she is looking at all the horrible things happening around her in the world and being like, oh my god. But I think if like Kamaru's nature, if you were to take her and put her into a much like better situation... I think she does have that kind of like spark in her personality where she's oh my she's like oh my god like look at this manga or like oh my god this book like I remember reading this book it was so amazing or like you know and just kind of that um that feeling like she just wants to have a good time. All right, so up next is Masaru. So Masaru, his general trauma was that he was uh, physically abused by his parents. And so he kind of turned to athletic achievement and like boasting the others around him in order to be seen as strong. So I put him as a type eight. So the reason I put him in eight is because eights decide to grow up quickly because they felt that by showing vulnerability or softness, they would be hurt rejected or betrayed. They become, quote, little protectors, which honestly made me like tear up a little bit, um, and show an exterior of toughness and invulnerability. And I, it's him, like, I, I mean, the scene that we see before we battle his robot where he like hits his arm over and over and he's like, I can't be soft. I can't be weak. Like, you know, I have to show everyone that I, nothing can hurt me. Like that is to a T the type eight, like, I, I mean, maybe you guys had a different one, but like, I felt very strongly about about Master being an eight based on, you know, his childhood. I had the same thing. I also had Masaru as an eight, and I also felt pretty strongly about that one. I agree with everything that you said, and I also read a little bit about how um, eights are often charismatic and can be natural leaders. They like to be leaders because sometimes they do like to be in charge, and they like to. Uh, lead others. And so I was reading some interesting things about oh, how a lot of like world leaders in the past have been eights because they've like led people into battle and like all those things. And like, he's the hero. He's the, you know, that all that. So yes, I agree with you. Um, same. I, I, I put here, Masaru is a cookie cutter type eight childhood wound. Like it's like, I would have been very surprised if we disagreed on this one. Yeah. All opinions are valid. We out here. Yeah. I just have some also just type eights when they grow up are usually become bo- uh, belligerent, loud and abrasive um, at their worst. Type eights are a great type, um, but this is like at the worst, at their worst, they can kind of be like this. Um, but yeah, good job guys. That was solid. Yeah, absolute legends. (laughs) 
All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, we want to know what Enneagram type would you give all of these characters? Make sure you leave us a comment on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're Ultra Hope Girls Podcast pretty much everywhere. And if you like what you're listening to today, make sure you check us out on Patreon. The lowest tier is just $2 a month, and it really helps the podcast out. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be right back after the break. Hello, everybody. Caroline here with a pretty exciting announcement. So I, separate from the other Ultra Hope girls, am offering some online virtual classes in things such as writing, because, you know, I'm the ultimate literary girl, and performing, and also some clubs and classes virtually via my own school, which I founded, called The Spilling Ink School. You can check that out at thespillinginkschool.com. I'm offering tutoring and college essays. I'm offering, you know, piano classes and all that jazz. So definitely check it out. It's a good time. And I will also be offering some clubs and classes that are Danganronpa related via OutSchool. So I'll keep the links all in the description. They are for people under 18, so ask your parents before checking it out. But yeah, I'm excited to potentially have some listeners in my classes, and I wanted to let you know that that's going on. So thanks so much in advance for checking it out, and I look forward to teaching some of you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so next up, we have Jotaro. And I put Jotaro as a type four, same as Toko. And for me, that felt, yes, I think Caroline has the same one. Um, so um, Jotaro, I mean, obviously, they describe him as a latchkey kid in the game. Um, he was left alone. He was pretty much neglected really badly. Um, his mother, you know, th- supposedly his mother, we never really confirmed that. But um, made him wear that like weird mask thing and like convinced him that he was horrible and ugly and a monster. And so the the description of the trauma of the type four is called, um, this website calls it rejection of identity. And so that is similarly to kind of how I talked about with, with Toko, these people kind of take on this, they internalize this feeling of that. I'm not, I'm not the same as everyone else around me. I'm different. There's something different about me. And I think that fits Jotaro with him being like, oh, I'm all messed up in the head and I got to wear this thing because my face is so hideous and people's eyes will melt out of their skulls if they look at me, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so there's definitely a huge theme of abandonment, of feeling alone, of feeling unloved. There, And once again, that creativity comes back into play, that like retreating into themselves and using their imagination and some kind of creative outlet to express their emotions. And for Jotaro, that's, you know, his art. And I also read a little bit about how um, this website described some fours as having a desire to like cling to their own suffering because it's a source of identity for them. And um, this almost kind of like, I don't want to say masochistic, but it, it kind of is this like masochistic desire to suffer. And for Jotaro, that seems accurate because he wants people to hate him, supposedly. So. 
yeah, that's that's what I got for him. Solid. I have also Jotaro as a type four. And I didn't do that on purpose, actually, with um, Toko and Jotaro. I only realized after I made the list that I'd given them the, them the same type. Yeah, Maddie, I, I mean, basically everything you said I have written down. So I have not a lot of new stuff to add. And I'll just mention, I guess, as a fun fact, a lot of type fours end up being artists, whether performing or visual, because they see themselves as as different, as special. And that isn't a bad thing. It's also a really good thing. And it's not saying if you aren't that type, you aren't going to be an artist. I just want to also say that, but it is a lot of um, artists or people who view the world in a more poetic way tend to be um, type fours. So, yeah. So I actually had them in type five. Um, I did have a different type, but I, yeah, I really, I, I love what you said. That one thing you said, Maddie, about like fours, like wanting to feel their like thing or whatever you said, like, I was like, whoa, like that's awesome. But for type five, it's the same type that I gave to Kamaru. I think they're two very different people, but in some ways I think that they do handle things in a way similarly. Um, so it's, they feel like the odd ducks. They're forever on the outside looking in and whatever the case, they feel like little they can do is wanted or needed by the people around them. Um, and this part was what really got to me. It says they may believe that their thoughts are good while the outside world conceives them as bad, um, which is Jotaro. Like he flips everything on its head. It's, you know, ugliness is good. Hatred is good. And um, at average to unhealthy levels, they believe if they can avoid the expectations of others, they will be happy. And, you know, that like that is a big part of what we learn about Jotaro in chapter two is that he doesn't care about what others think in terms of like anyone other than his four friends, you know? So just interesting. Yeah. And I definitely see, um, when I was reading, I kind of felt like I felt the vibes of like a lot of similarities between the four and the five. I think for me, it was kind of like the five, um, like retreats into maybe like an intellectual sort of like realm and the four retreats into maybe a more like artistic creative kind of realm. So that's where I took it, but I hear you definitely. Okay. So Kodiko, I had a kind of a tougher time because I was, I was between two types. I had narrowed it down pretty easily and I will, I'll say the one I picked and, but I'll also mention some traits of the other one that's really stood out to me. Um, so I put Kodiko as a type two because she finds meaning in serving Monica. So present day, that's why I rationalized. I was between two and six and I would have picked six because a big key trait of a six is they had a parental figure that they were very much attached to and looked up to and followed a lot. And we see that with her being prostituted as a child, her mom and her were a package deal. Her mom told her it was going to be fine because this was how that she would get ahead in the world of acting. Um, And she put a lot of trust in her, but to sort of have a similar thing where they feel loved when they're helping or pleasing others. She went along with this because her mom, you know, she wanted to make her mom happy and please her. And so, yeah, I, I went ahead and picked a two though, because she is Monica's helper. She wants to help her so badly and, and serve her and put her needs before her own for a lot of the game. So yeah, that's why I went ahead and went with a two. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that like six was your other one because that is actually what I put for her. Um, kind of for similar reasons to what you said, like the big thing with her mom being her main parental figure. Um, but with sixes, they if the parental figure betrays them, they usually tend to hate 
authoritative figures that remind them of that person, aka adults. Um, and so for me, it kind of was motive for what we see like with all of the Warriors of Hope. Um, yeah, and the way that she clings to a new authority that they see in Monica, um, because she's not a similar authoritative figure. I thought that that lined up, but I totally see what you're saying about um, type two with being helpful. Cause you're right. Like that's kind of why she's like stuck it out with her mom for so long was just, you know, hoping that it would make her feel happier. So I had a hard time with this one. And I think I like both of your descriptions a lot better than what I ended up coming up with, but I'll share it anyway. Um, I ended up putting her in the seven category um, which is actually where I put Kamaru. And I see some similarities in personality between them. Like they're kind of high energy. Yeah, this, similar vibes, similar vibes. But um, yeah, the the personality wise, I, I saw that kind of fitting her, especially as like the outgoing, like spunky little theater kid. And when it talks about sevens, like using the transitional objects or hobbies that um, to try and distract themselves from their trauma or to try to fill the emptiness for Kodoko, that could have been drama or theater. But yeah, the the trauma, when it comes to the trauma that she experienced, that's where I felt like the um, type seven trauma. I was like, I don't know if this fits because it's the absence of nurturing. It's feeling disconnected from the um, the nurturing figure. and. Kodoko could absolutely have felt disconnected from her mother as a result of what she was going through. But um, I think the way that you guys described it is more accurate. The way that she like was clinging to her mom and like doing the going along with those things because her mom was the one she looked up, looked up to and trusted until she eventually betrayed that trust. And so, yeah, I, I found it interesting too, that a lot of actors have this personality type that's not like why i chose it for her but it just was interesting to me yeah so that's where i put her but i i was like meh so i i like yours better (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to say maddie um something i read in the danganronpa wiki that i had forgotten about kodoko's story is that she didn't really want to do drama like she was gifted in it but she didn't want to do it I completely forgot about that. You're right. Oh, okay. Wow. Huh. That's yeah, I don't know. Just something I, and I forgot about that. And she totally would be good at it. She's so charming and so cute, you know, and like, but yeah, like, wouldn't, wasn't what she wanted. Reminds me of someone else in this Zoom call right now. Oh, <laughs> Maddie. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. Caroline's so charming. So Nagisa is, I, okay, I, I just have to start this off by saying I will be plum shocked if we don't have the same type here. Like, yeah, Nagisa, to me, is a type three. Yeah, as children, threes are very much focused on achievements. Maddie, did you not pick three? I didn't. How? I'm so shocked. I will explain. Oh I will explain. Okay. But continue. 
Um, so threes are completely focused on achievement. They strive to achieve. They get love through achievement and in no other way. Um, it says threes gain approval by achieving goals, success, and benchmarks. They gather tokens of achievement in hopes of being loved. So we see with Nagisa in his backstory that his dad pushes him constantly to achieve and it's never enough. Like he literally drugs Nagisa in order to try and help him to do more. Um, I hesitate to use the word help there, but um, yeah. And so that just, this really fit it for me. Just like Nagisa has only received love when he's achieved something. And even then it's minuscule and that pushed him to go further and harder to try and get that. And so for me, it was really like dead on, but I'm so curious to hear what yours is, Maddie. Oh man. Okay. So yes, the, the number three type is one that I considered for him. There's a reason I didn't pick it. Um, and that is because I went with uh, type one for him, actually. So Caroline was also, Caroline's also out here on the, on the three board, I, I see. Um, so what stood out to me was um, the description from the Enya app that we kind of, those descriptions that we read off about the children, these children feeling heavily criticized, punished, not good enough. Um, they become obsessed with being better or not making mistakes. The principal message being you, you have to be better than you are. Um, and that to me stood out more for him than the type three description actually. And um, because the type three is a lot about like admiration and where, you know, that is like, that may come into play as far as like Nagi says achievements, like academically and doing all those things. But I don't, I, it's almost like, to me, there was no admiration. Like Nagisa wasn't like getting his dad to admire him from what he was doing. He was literally just like, that was what his dad expected of him. And he was just pushing him further and further to just see how far he could go. And I don't know that, that something about that felt off to me where it wasn't like, I didn't really see it as like Nagisa trying desperately to like, earn his father's love through like everything that he was doing. I think it was just kind of like pure like coercion. And um I don't know, that that's kind of the way I saw it. But the criticism, the not being good enough, like you have to be better, you have to be better, you can't make mistakes, you have to be better, that ring that that resonated with me for him. And I also read a little bit about how they um the type one is their own judge their own critic they have a strict code of moral rules they have to they feel like they are never good enough they um can never meet their own expectations of themselves they also will like police themselves and even punish themselves if they feel like they're not good enough there's also a quote <laughs> um, that I found that says, the one child wants to outdo the expectations of the protective figure who had in some way failed them. And that word, that keyword, expectations, that also stood out to me because of some of his quotes toward the end of the game. Ah, yes. Everyone expects so much of the Warriors of Hope and of me to meet these expectations. I have to build paradise all by myself. So expect more of me. Yes. And also I read a little bit about how ones have a quote unquote sense of mission that leads them to want to improve the world in various ways using whatever degree of influence they have. Um, and so that 
him with him being like the leader of the warriors of hope theoretically and wanting to change the world and wanting to make a difference although arguably maybe not in a good way by killing all the adults okay well uh as we kind of brought up earlier i also put nagisa as a type three but i viewed it as you know he himself describes his family and their like relationship as like him filling xp and so I thought of it as like an XP bar, but it was like zero to infinity. There is no way to like reach the admiration, but maybe if I keep going, maybe if like I fill the rest, then maybe I'll hit infinity, but it never happens, obviously. Um, I don't think that a lot of threes, like again, like this is the most extreme of a childhood wound. So like a lot of threes, like, you know, love is uh, is it's admiration more than love, but I think that this isn't even love. It's like, he's trying to get admiration or anything, you know, and it's, it's not, but anyway, um, but this quote, um, I actually did a monologue from ultra despair girls for an audition a little while ago. And I actually have it here. And I did the one, you know, where we're learning about his backstory and this quote, I mean, literally is type three. It's, uh, uh, and by doing so, as long as they steadily racked up HP, I'd level up to their expectations. That is the word that really like puts it in type three for me, because it's like it's the expectation of like how good they're, they're going to be. And a lot of time type three parents or parents who have chi- a child who is type three, they sometimes there's no praise for them achieving the bare minimum or even a little higher. They just expect more and more than the last time. Interesting. Okay. I like the analogy of the um, like XP bar going from zero to infinity. That's deep. It's his own analogy. Oh. It, yeah. He, in order to gain XP and level up. That's like, he says, that's what I, the quote I just oh, said. Oh, but like after. the zero to infinity bar. Oh, right, right. He doesn't say that. <laughs> I came up with that. This brain like thought that. of that. <laughs> Bad brain. She did that. She real She's wrinkly. Um, mm. She wrinkly and large. So <laughs> I love that. Thank you. I love how we went into this episode like, oh, we're talking about some really serious things today. Like we need Lard. a content disclosure. And now we're out here like She's stinky. She's just stinky, girl. So Monica. All right. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm a good person to go first on this last one because I, this is another one that I had a really hard time with. So maybe you guys have more to talk about for her. So for Monica, um, I had to kind of like do a little more research and get a little more details and refresh myself on kind of what happened with her. But she basically, nobody in her family wanted her around at all. Like she was just, everyone was like, ew, gross. Like Haiji was like there and was like, gross, this is like an alien child. Why are you here? I hate you. And so Monica ended up pretending to be injured and pretending to be um, paraplegic in order to gain pity from people around her so that they would be a little less mean to her. And she, you know, as we see, is very, very good at manipulating people. Just very good at like pulling the strings of everyone around her and getting what she wants. And maybe this is like an ironic choice for that, but I ended up choosing type nine for her. And um, the type nine being the peacemaker, which Monica isn't a peacemaker. (laughs) But 
we but also she talked, unifies people. Yes. I, that's, yeah, that's how I feel. And we also talked a little bit about how in our Enneagrams episode in season two about how Nagito is like a nine. He doesn't create peace. He creates chaos, but it's still like the, he has the nine core to him. And I, I kind of see Monica in a similar way because she just is like, she makes peace through bending everyone around her to her will so that she's like just the center of the universe and you know, always pretty much gets what she wants. So, uh, Mad, guess what? I also had a type nine from no Monica. Way. Right. And I was a little like nervy because I was like, Monica's not a peacemaker, but she right. is kind of like you said, a unifier. Um, and a lot of the type nine's childhood is being like ignored. Like she was present for everything, but people would just like not laugh at her jokes. Yeah. Like, just that's, that's the saddest thing. She was just so like neglected, but she was present for the neglect. So she took a back seat you know, and a lot of that. Also, something that's really interesting about type nines is type nines often keep a low profile. And I would argue that she kind of does that for this entire game. Like it's the other kids who are, we fight first before we finally get to the, the core of what's really going on. And type nines are also, at, again, at their worst, known to kind of be manipulative. They will sacrifice like anything for the sake of like the peace or like, their ideal sort of peace in their mind so they can turn manipulative to ensure that because a lot of people trust them because peacemakers are very easily to be trusted which as we see the kids all freaking love her so much um but yeah so i love your guys's descriptions of her as a nine like a peacemaker that makes so much sense i think i did kind of blow past that type um because i was like she's not a peacemaker i was like lol move on (laughs) but um, i had her in type seven um because i viewed her character as a whole as more of a uh sociopathic type person where um like type nines they want to keep the peace and um or I'll, I'll even say other types you know they're getting this abuse or neglect and they feel bad because of it it's my parent is like neglecting me i'm sad or you know my parent is abusing me i wish they wouldn't whereas for her i don't necessarily know that she feels human emotions as much as other people considering the action she takes in this game. And so the reason I put her in seven is sevens have more of a disconnect from the people in their houses. They're just, I don't want to say simply, but they're more not understood by the people around them in the house. And Haiji, I think even says like, we didn't like you, like you were different and you were like weird and you know, we couldn't vibe with that. Um, but yeah, so I think for her, I picked seven just because I think that she reacted differently than a lot of the other kids to the like abuse that she had as a child. And she created this killing game of the adults as the transitional object or toy to kind of fill that void um, mm. and like get that emptiness out of the way. Um, yeah, so that's that's how I saw it. But I totally see what you're saying. And I think that if you argue that she was feeling it and the neglect made her into who she is, I would absolutely put her in type nine. I think you made like a really good argument for that. And Marin, I got to say, I was between nine and seven. So <gasps> wow! It yeah. did cross my mind. Yes. Yeah. So I hear you. That's it. This that is, is another episode of Maddie and I like, did Caroline pick the same one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. 
All right, listeners. So that is the end of our episode. Now we're going to move on to our fun little segment of, you know, three characters, three prompts. Um, today we are picking between the three characters, Jotaro, Masaru, and Nagisa, our boys. Um, and for the three prompts, so we all have to decide which character would we, A, choose to binge watch the entirety of the Harry Potter movie series nonstop which I, I think it's like 24 hours long or something crazy like that. B, which character would you want to go Christmas shopping for? So you got to pick out all their gifts or any holiday. You got to pick out all their gifts. C, which character would you want to teach how to bake a pie? I feel like I would be a, an insufficient instructor in that <laughs> subject matter. <laughs> okay, me too. So I would not, I would be great. No, but Mary would be good. Like that one, that one is good. I'm just saying that. <laughs> all right. So for binge watching all of the Harry Potter movies, I would have to pick Nagisa because Nagisa and I would vibe so hard. We'd be best of buds. And I think that I, out of all the options, uh, he's the only one I could spend more than 30 minutes with so I don't know if I could make it 24 hours with the others um, but also I think it would be a good chance to get to know each other and he's probably a Harry Potter fan and so we can just be like woohoo for Christmas shopping I would do Masaru because I feel like shopping for him would be pretty easy because uh, he likes sports um, and then for the pie I would pick my dear lovely child Jotaro uh, because I think that Jotaro you know, I don't know how to bake a pie. And I think that the two of us could get a little experimental with the pie baking situation, which would be kind of fun. And uh, yeah, hopefully we wouldn't bake a crow into the pie like that old nursery rhyme. Um, but maybe we would. And it would be fun. So Jotaro and maybe honestly, Jotaro, like, I feel like if we spent some time together, like maybe we would like kind of vibe a little, you know what I mean? I know I just said we wouldn't vibe, but like baking a pie only takes like an hour, right? So like, that's right. Yeah. Caroline, I would also choose Nagisa to binge watch Harry Potter with. I think out of those three, he and I would vibe most. We'd have the most interesting conversations. It'd be maybe cool to hear what his thoughts are on the movies. So I think I would pick Masaru to bake a pie with because I just don't know how that would go with Jotaro. Like, I also don't know how to bake a pie. And I feel like it, yeah, I, I just feel like if I were to try to attempt that with Jotaro, we would both be extremely confused. We would both be like, what is going on? And it would be weird. But with Masaru, I feel like he'd be a good sport about it. <laughs> no pun intended. Maybe. And have like be like, cool, let's just figure it out. Um, and we would figure it out. And then for Jotaro, I would go Christmas shopping or holiday shopping for him. Um, because I, I would get him some good, like, art supplies. I would get him some, like, not murdery art supplies. So, like, instead of, like, you know, making diagrams of dead bodies, he can, like, grab some cardboard, you know, some construction paper, some, maybe, maybe a take-up painting, you know, a nonviolent, nonviolent hobby. And there'd be some cool, some cool things to get him. Um, okay, so for me, I would binge watch the Harry Potter movies with Jotaro. He just has this incredible habit of bringing up 
like really dramatic points that you don't even realize. And I I would love to see the Harry Potter movies with a new lens. So Jotro, <laughs> you're uh, you're coming to the movie marathon. Uh, Christmas shopping. I would shop for Masaru because like Caroline said, easy peasy. And I'm like something from Nerf or I don't know. It's Nerf or nothing. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not sponsored. <laughs> um, and then pie, I would uh, bake a pie with Nagisa. I feel like he would be so scientific with everything that the pie would just turn out great. Yeah, I can see that. That wraps up our episode for today. Thank you for coming and listening. We hope you enjoyed. We have a Patreon. If you're looking for more content, if you want more episodes on these weeks off, please check out our Patreon. The lowest amount you can donate is $2 a month, and we would love to see you there. Um, we have a Facebook, a Twitter, Instagram, Amino, all sorts of ways for you to get in contact with us. Leave us your thoughts, your questions, and we will try and answer them on the season finale. Um, but thank you again for coming to listen, and see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>